Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is another episode that started off as a LinkedIn Live and one that I think is important to hear. How many people seem to talk like an expansion to China is a guaranteed billion dollars in profit? Yes, there are a lot of people out there. Yes, there is a lot of passion for, say, technology products, online platforms, influencers, etc. But how do you actually make sense of it? And if you're in the West, like we are, and a lot of our listeners are, how do you expand over into the East when there's multiple dialects across all of Southeast Asia and China, multiple languages, very different sets of culture, and very different regulations in those kind of areas? So I brought on two guys whose job it is to do exactly that. They've been working a lot in traditional business, but also with esports teams, exporting their knowledge and and ideas from the West over to the East. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Well, it's good, to, it's good to have you in here. For those people who are listening to the podcast, this was going to be a podcast only, but about 30, 45 minutes ago, I just sent you guys an email and said, hey, how about we just do this on video? Yeah, well. <laughs> it. So thanks to you guys for coming in. Where Whereabouts in the world are you both right now? Um, I'm based in Mexico City right now. I'm in uh, Minnesota, lovely Minnesota, for just for the holidays, and then I'm popping down to uh, Mexico to actually visit Matt in January to get out of the cold. <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah. We're, we're talking about that. We're talking about that just before. I remember John, you were saying it's quite cold where you are, and I said I'm I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt at the moment here. It's it's a, it's summer in Australia, and I assume it's I assume it's basically always summer in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's sixties and seventies down there. The first yeah. place I've ever lived where. Yeah, where you don't have heat or air conditioning because you never need either one of them. It's pretty nice. Yeah, wow. That's not too bad at all. And we got some people joining in the chat already, which is awesome. So let's let's just kick off the podcast with an easy thing with either one of you two. Can you give us the quick elevator pitch of your company? And then we got a we got a bunch of stuff I want to talk about today. Yeah. So basically um we run two businesses. One is e commerce focused, um, China Ecom Boost, and the other one is MA Talent China. Um basically we help create, take Western influencers and, and help them um, build and establish a, a fan base in China. Um, we started off working with NBA players and then NBA teams directly. And now we're working with esports teams quite a bit. Yeah, fantastic. So, I mean, let, let's kick off the conversation with, with China. We talked about um, We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but any anytime someone mentions the word China and technology, you can see the stars in everybody's eyes, the dollar signs. Everyone says, "Wow, you know, I'm I'm expanding into China as is everyone else, and I'm instantly going to make a trillion dollars because so many people live there." But if it was that easy, a I would feel like your company wouldn't exist. Probably. B everyone would do it who hasn't. So can right. you can you talk to me a little bit about a why the companies you're working with want to expand into China and b some of the issues that they face that you have to help them work work through. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. You know, as we kind of watch China um, mature into a, a stronger, state, more stable economy, um, I think, you know, everybody, it's basically a situation where we have a rising tide lifts all ships in almost all industries, all niches. Um, so there's uh, just a lot of demand that's being uh, unfulfilled. Um, and because you have this kind of captive market, right? It's the Chinese can't easily leave. They can't just go somewhere else and, oh, I want to go to New York City and buy a bunch of stuff. Um, so you have kind of a market that's it's very unique um, in the fact that they're basically you know, uh, kind of stuck where they are. And so um, there, there's a constant kind of, as this kind of market matures and develops, we're just seeing this demand pick up in everything. Um, you know, China's e-commerce economy is gigantic. It's about a third of their total economy. So they've kind of skipped over this go to the mall on Saturday and spend all day shopping um, and just kind of jumped into the ease of e-commerce and because of the economies of scale that you can achieve in, in very densely populated urban areas, um, you know, delivery and all these things just happen so much faster, right? You watch people, they'll order something on the subway on the way to work and it arrives before lunch 
they order something wow. in the afternoon and it's arrived before they get home. Um, so again, the, the total economy, China's total economy is, is almost uh, eclipsing the U.S.'s, which I think is a good thing. You know, there's five times as many people there as there are in the U.S. And, and if we are to um, continue mm. this growth that everybody wants to see, it's got to come from some of these other um, emerging economies. And not to say that China's an emerging economy, but it's not quite mature yet. So there's a lot of room for growth. And, and what that means is kind of as these consumption levels continue to, to drive and increase, you know, you've got everybody loves to throw on the statistics of the um, millennials and the Gen Zs in, in China, but you know about 400 million Gen Zs and millennials that are in white collar jobs have been around for a couple of years now and have between 100 and 250 dollars a month of disposable income. Uh, so if you multiply that by 400 million, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah, and so I think you know a part of the challenges are our understanding that it's it's a very just a totally different culture. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and actually it's funny, you know the when I relate this to people, it gets a chuckle, but I think they're very similar to Americans um, in terms of the way they view themselves and their culture, right? Americans tend to be um, slightly xenophobic and, and kind of unaware of, of the rest of the world and what's happening because their economy is so big and there's so much going on um, mm-hmm. at home. And China is very similar in that way. You know, they're uh, China, it, literally in Chinese means, uh, the, the middle kingdom. So it's, it's in, 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 in the past, it was thought of as being between heaven and the, the, pleb, the plebs, the regular people on the rest of the planet. Um, so, and again, talking about this giant country, giant population, um, and, and, you know, 5,000 years of, of continuous human civilization. Um, you know, they, China's been the largest economy in 18 of the last 20 centuries. So it's not really something that's new. It's, it's actually, you know, this not being the, the, the largest economy in the world is something that's kind of new for them. So, um, but yeah, it's just a totally different way of kind of looking at business, uh, much more relationship um, driven. And um, like you said, you know, everybody has these wide eyes when they talk about going into China and they rush into it without really understanding um what the differences are and how to try to make deals and how to make things work um, and understand what's what's driving both sides. You know, we talk about John and I have spent plenty of time in China and I think people get thrown off by the, we call it the yes with a question mark. When you have, you know, when I was in manufacturing for a long time, you'd say, Oh, can you do this in, in 30 days? And they say, yes. And people would be like, Oh, they said, yes, great. Let's go. Um, but they don't realize that that actually means, no, I can't do that. But because of the cultural right. differences, you know, admitting that you can't do something, um, you know, is a loss of a face uh, for them. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's a lot of what we try to do. And, and, you know, having been involved in business in China since 2004 and, and kind of being a bridge to, to China, um, it's really the only place I've really ever worked. And so I have, you know, that, that, that instinctual um, way of doing business with the Chinese is something that, you know, we help bring to the table and, and, and with the companies that we're working with. I like that. I like that. Yes. With a question mark. <laughs> it's like these yeah. cultural differences. And well, like right. we talk about Southeast Asia a bit later, but I remember talking to um, the APAC sales director or APJ sales director for Corset when I worked there. And, you know, he was talking about various Southeast Asian countries. The intricacies are ridiculous where you've got red light, green light for shipping where the customs, you know, your internal guy at customs will say, green light, go. Like the, the shipping needs to land today. Otherwise, it's going to get seized or it's just going to go missing for, for no reason whatsoever and things like that. So it's, you know, all of these different, all of these cultural differences. So you, you mentioned um, you mentioned influences as well. So in Australia, our influences perform extremely well, especially with the American market. I assume it's because maybe they like our accent, they like our type of comedy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How do Western influences fare into the Chinese and, and wider Eastern market, do they need to tailor their sort of content, or is it just, a, or is it just a process of getting them on GQ and getting them on, you know, Weibo and, and these kind of platforms and letting them do what they already do? Well, I think there's definitely a localization process, and actually, you know, that's kind of what we specialize in is kind of tailoring that around. Again, you know, you have this culture that really um, is very inward-looking, right? And they kind of assume that, um, you know, their cultural norms are are kind of ubiquitous um so they're not really um you know well versed and again like talking about that trap market you know they don't you don't meet a ton of chinese people that have traveled around the world and have been to europe and australia and all these other places so they're kind of not as aware of other cultures as i think a lot of people are and like you said you know 
the difference between uh, going from, you know, hearing an Australian and, and a British accent or something like, oh, yeah, that's like a slightly different accent or something like that. But in China, you have, you know, a totally different language, totally different culture, and there's a ton of languages there. Um, so a lot of what we're seeing is actually taking Chinese um, influencers and having them go out abroad and go to other countries and, and you know, live stream sales events and things like that. But we are mm-hmm. seeing a shift as you see some of these larger e-commerce platforms like Tmall, um, which is a, a, a very high-end uh, version of the Alibaba's um, uh, Taobao uh, platform, are, are mm-hmm. actually actively courting Western influencers to come to China. And now that you know, there is a little more um, understanding of Western goods and business and things like that, and the desire has been clearly demonstrated. I think you're going to see more and more of that kind of um, crossover where you're having uh, foreign influencers go into China um, and, and explain why these products are, are good and, and what there is uh, that's interesting and okay. different about them. Um, you know, the products that do really well there are, are ones that are unique to China and can't be, you know, that, you know, the Chinese aren't manufacturing, you know, if you have some ingredients or something like that, you don't see a lot of the stuff in skincare, cosmetics, health and beauty. Um, mommy mm-hmm. baby stuff is really popular. Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to continue to grow and expand. What's like, like what are some of the main reasons that a Western influencer might, might want to go over there? Is there the possibility of, let me rephrase the question. So there was a, there was a quite often time where there were streaming platforms in China that were paying Western Dota 2 players to stream on them because Dota 2 is quite a popular Western games. It is a popular Eastern game, you know, paying them up to 1.25 million a year, et cetera. So the players would go there for the immediate payoff of being paid for their content. Is, is that why some of the Western influencers might want to go into China or is it the future earnings potential or new audience potential? Is it, is it a mix? Like, what are you seeing? Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing, you know, there are still, there's a, just a kind of a content war, you know, you've got the two dominant streaming mm-hmm. platforms, Huya and Douyu, um, are both listed on New York Stock Exchange and, and they're both backed by, by Tencent. Um, so there's kind of a dog fight for an Isn't everything backed by Tencent? Both of those. <laughs> And then Billy, right. Billy so, I mean, as well. Billy. They're the Google of, of China. And, yeah. yeah. And Billy, Billy just so, closed I mean, I that think, deal you know, for... The immediate uh, payoff is, is... I was going to say, Billy, Billy just closed that deal for the League of Legends uh, World Championships. So you got, like, basically three of them yeah, in the mix like now. $100 million mm. plus. Mm. Yeah, and I think if you look, you know, too, at, um, at what we were seeing with the NBA before um, we had the flare-up with the Rockets there, you know... Uh, Tencent's contract with the NBA was, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars a year for streaming the games to to China. So there's a huge appetite for that mm-hmm. content, and it's really just about um, positioning yourself for it. You know, I think um, in the short term, if you can find something like that, you know, streaming Dota two streaming is great. But what we're trying to do is build up build up and engage that fan base and, and, and develop an asset. So you have a following on Weibo, a following on WeChat that that is developed. And like I said, you know. Because e-commerce is so kind of ubiquitous throughout the country and the demand is just growing, 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 you know, just getting an affiliate link and putting it on your WeChat accounts, um, you know, it can be really uh, make a lot of t- a ton of money. Um, and, you know, that's something we're seeing is the NBA teams kind of um, are unshackled from NBA China and, and have the ability to go out and, and monetize their own presence. You know, all these teams have millions of followers on Weibo, you know, just kind of putting uh, affiliate offers in front of this fire hydrant of traffic, you know, people are going to buy all this stuff anyway. They might as well buy it, you know, from your site, mm-hmm. your unique tracking link. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the way e-commerce works in China is this gigantic net of, of referrals and affiliates and all this kind of thing where everybody's, you know, leveraging the attention that they're able to develop um, to sell products, you know, and I think that this goes back to, you know, the Chinese kind of have an inherent distrust of government and, and, and just like most people do, I guess. Um, and mm-hmm. and uh, so they're not very likely to take what... Same thing goes for, for big companies. You know, they're not really likely to, to take what a company says about their own product so well. So having that intermediary that, that is a trusted person in the middle that can refer you to something um, is very valuable. And so when we're looking for influencers, you know, we want to make sure that they're not just kind of grabbing every every affiliate deal that comes their way to make money because then you kind of, you know, um, you kind of dilute that trust that you have built up with your audience and that following. Yeah, and it's I'm glad you brought up the affiliate thing because it's not something I've talked about before. 
that's a major source of income for influencers all over the world. And and like you were saying, you know, to explain for those people who don't know, essentially what it is is, you know, if you like if if you like me, you can click on this affiliate link. Anything you purchase through this store, I get a kickback. Or you can link to direct products and say, hey, here's the keyboard I use that's sponsored for me. If you'd like to purchase it, A, it's trackable. B, I get a kickback. And, you know, I work a lot with tech influencers, especially in the past with my work at, at Thermaltake and, and Corsair. And, you know, some of these guys are making up to 40% of their income purely from those Amazon referral links that they're not really pushing at all. They're just in their bio. They're just in the in the description of the YouTube videos. And Obviously, it works well for those tech guys because they're reviewing products and quite often someone's watching the video of the graphics card review because they're thinking about purchasing, then they'll purchase with that link. But, you know, there's some guys in the US who I know are making up to 300K USD a month just off, just off Amazon referral links. And that's at an average of it's like 0.9 to 1.6%, depending what the product is. So, you know, you can put the numbers together there and see how much they're actually selling for those brands. So I assume yeah. with China... You know, skincare products are not always that cheap, and generally, skincare products are so much higher, um, higher margins than anything mm-hmm. you see in the tech space. You know, I had dinner with a guy from the power tools industry last night as well, a very successful Aussie entrepreneur, explaining to me as well, not dissimilar margins. It mm-hmm. seems like not dissimilar margins in automotive and such as well. You know, a lot of people are working off anywhere between ten to to thirty points, but you know, when you look at the makeup industry and this kind of stuff, you know, you're seeing much much higher margins, uh, which, which allows for that expenditure. Yeah, and I think that that's what's really, really exciting for us in esports in China is we're starting to see women come into the space as consumers of the content a lot more. And um, you know, they make up to 70% of their e-commerce purchases, even when they're buying products for males in the um, in the market. So kind of seeing them participate more. I was telling John, you know, I was just in Shenzhen in China for two months over the summer. And I literally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a tall guy. I'm almost two meters tall. And so, you know, walking through the subway system and having people just kind of bump into me because they're just walking and looking at their phone and watching somebody play Dota or something like that. I mean, it was pretty, mm-hmm. um, pretty unbelievable, you know, and I, again, we're fairly newcomers to the, to the esports industry and kind of seeing how much that, you know, Chinese people love to consume that kind of content. Um, it's really interesting, but yeah, like, like you're saying, I mean, you're basically putting these affiliate offers in front of this huge fire hydrant of, of, of traffic. And um, because you said, you know, like you said, the markets are, the margins are so good and, and you're able to, the, the influencers are able to use unique tracking links and, and feel confident that, Hey, if I put this stuff up there and I talk about these products, people are going to go through these links um, and I'm going to get my affiliate commission through that. So, so that's, that's been something, you know, China that's been huge for, for years. I think they estimate the influencer marketing, market at about 17 billion dollars last year just in, in oh, straight wow. uh, affiliate commissions and now you see like something like weibo um which is like a, a twitter on steroids i guess has very clearly stated hey we're really going to focus on content driven e-commerce um now and i think that you know for them it's a big play you know and, and something like wechat that's a more closed controlled um uh, ecosystem uh you know there's a lot more trust there, but, but, you know, you, you've seen, I've seen as high as $5 per user to acquire people in that. So it's a much different system. Uh, but I, I think that this kind of influencer directed marketing, um, you know, it's not going anywhere and, and, you know, people kind of talk about it like it's some new thing, but really it's just like asking a friend, what do you think about this product or what do you recommend or something like that? Like that's, that's nothing new. It's just, um, you know, I think, you know, in the States, especially it gets a bad name because every fitness person is like, drink this tea and you'll lose weight and buy this crap. Yeah. And if you like me, do this. And in yeah. China, it's, it's a little bit different, you know, and, and again, like we talked about, you know, it's, it's more of a, of an ongoing discussion. Chinese people are very, let's like, ask a lot of questions. Um, they say, you know, you, in the West, you need about six touch points before they trust a brand in China is closer to nine to 10. Um, and we see this often, you know, of, of having phone numbers available so they can call. And even though the answers are on the FAQ page, they just, you know, they want to know, Hey, is this real? Is this legit? Is somebody there? Is somebody going to answer this question? Um, mm. so I think, mm. you know, there, there is more of this kind of discussion that goes on, um, for products in China, but the demand is just good roof. It's really interesting you mentioned the female aspect of people coming in. And for, for better or for worse, I remember talking to a supplier in the apparel industry about this mm-hmm. and sa- and saying that if you want to make a lot of apparel sales, you need two things. You need A, a female audience. You need B, afterpay. 
And that's the way where everything comes through. And I don't, I don't know another brand personally, for example, that sells sunglasses and 70, something like 70% of their audience is female and 75% of their purchases are through Afterpay mm. and things like that too. So are there are there other services like that in China? Obviously, there's a lot of ways in China you can pay through things like like WeChat and, and different ways. But do they have that, you know, buy now, pay later kind of services as well that are picking, that are picking up? Um, I think that, you know, credit is, is kind of becoming a little bit more um, prevalent, but it's been something, you know, for a lot of what's, what's really attractive for a lot of the brands that we're working with on the commerce side is that, you know, everybody's WeChat pay and Alipay, you know, is tied to their bank account. So it's a direct debit. There's no chargebacks. There's no failure to pays, things like that. Mm-hmm. China is just cash flush right now. So okay. um, credit is not something that's been, you know, kind of easily available for a long time, but I think it will become more and more available and then you're really going to see another gigantic spike as people start becoming less conscious consumers and saying like, oh, well, I only have XYZ amount of money in my bank account. You know, they can be a little more like Americans and say, hey, who cares? I'll pay for it later. I don't need to think about it. So what's the, what's the risk? Why isn't everybody jumping into China? Like we, you talked about some cultural barriers. You've talked about um, you know, some issues of localization and that kind of stuff. But are there risks? Like, uh, I, I, you know, I want to use another example from a dinner I had last night where, um, you know, people just creating too many products for the market. You know, you, are people thinking they're going to come into China, they're, they're pre-purchasing 400,000 units of stock and then realize that it's not a cultural fit, it's not a market fit? Or are they selling 10,000 in the first month, they're making 15,000 for the next and they hit a wall and they don't sell anymore? Like, like what are some of the risks for people expanding? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, you can definitely fall flat on your face if you don't understand the culture. Um, and we see this, you know, every year while we watch the brands try to make their Chinese New Year uh, themed products. And, and you know, yeah, okay. it's really funny sometimes, you know, but sometimes you'd say like, oh, you know, it, it, it's really hard to see what would get traction and what wouldn't. Um, I was one jewelry company last year that made, try to make this, um, jewel for the year of the monkey and end up looking like some crazy skull and things. And, and when the Chinese internet piles on, man, they really pile on. Uh, we see it every year with kind of Dolce and Gabbana. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys can't keep their foots out of their mouth. So when it comes to China, they end up having really? a bunch, you know, they, they did this campaign where they had this famous Chinese actress, like eating a piece of pizza with chopsticks and people just piled on it. And, you know, they, the Dolce and Gabbana got defensive about it. Next thing you know, people are burning stuff in the streets and their stock is <laughs> dipping. And so I think, you know, people, people really feel like they don't have an understanding of, of the Chinese culture and they mm. just don't understand mm. where to start. And they think it's one of those things like you're saying, oh, I got to buy, I got to get 10,000 units. I got to ship them all over there. I got to import them into China and then try to sell them. But actually, you know, even with this trade war and everything that's going on with the States, China just makes it easier and easier and easier to sell into China. Um, you can use the cross-border commerce system, which basically allows you to drop ship into China with no Chinese bank account, no Chinese company. Um, wow. So there's really, there's really little risk if you understand um, what the, the pathways are. But you know, the other thing is because it is a, a $1.9 trillion e-commerce market, like, there's a lot of noise out there. It's hard to stand out. And you can't just show up and be like, hey, I got this red watch. Buy it. Like, well, why? You know? and, and so I think because that market, you know, it, it is in some senses, like you know, I mentioned before, it's, it's immature in some senses in, in terms of the way they consume. But everybody's there. Um, you know, everybody's, there's just a ton of advertising constantly, you know, there's a big difference when you walk around in China, there's advertisements in the elevators, advertisements on the subway, and and it's much more advanced of a, of a, of a, of a marketing system than a lot of people would think. Um, so yeah, I mean, for us, the easiest sales are when a company has somebody on their staff that has been to China recently and they can see everything. One, they can see how much demand there actually is, but also, Hey, we have no idea where to start. We have no idea where to go. No idea what to do. Um, so it's it's not as you know. All the platforms are different. Uh, the language is a big difference. You know, and it's not something you can just throw into Google Translate and, and throw it up there and, and think that it's going to sound um, you know sound um, local. And so I think that, that there are a lot of challenges, and, and it's definitely not easy. But um, you know, the sheer size of that market and the growth, I think, is what's really attractive to people. Yeah, it's. I mean, what you're saying sounds exactly like when when you know big corporate brand number one, two, three tries to get into gaming and esports. Right. They say, you know, what's up, fellow children? 
You know, yeah. we're, we're, loving, we're loving the memes. Uh, yeah. All about the gamers. You know, you guys like Doritos, don't you? Like, yeah, you know, buy some more. Yeah, exactly. Buy this V8 truck that jet that Gen Zs hate because it's killing the environment. You know, things like that. <laughs> right. You know, they do. You know, you need to. I, I, a, a cultural fluency. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm exactly. Think about like I got, in, I got invited to a boardroom um, lunch with some very influential people, with a member of parliament, the managing director of car sales, which is a multi-billion dollar company, head of marketing at one of the big four banks, um, a bunch of heads of university, the Australian Computer Society, et cetera, et cetera. And I was glad I got the invite there because I could provide a lens from Gen Z, millennials, influencers, et cetera. I post a little bit about it on LinkedIn, LinkedIn but I haven't talked about it really yet. And part of what I said to them and what I say to everyone is I think every board in these big companies needs a young person filter. They need a hired young person. They'll literally grab a 14-year-old off the street and say, hey, if we did this, what do you think? And they're going to be pretty honest. They're usually going to say yeah. that's it or that's good. And right. sure, they don't have a degree, but they can still tell you from the lens of a 14-year-old that's shit or that's good. So at least you can get somewhere to start and maybe you can use that to start your thinking and go from there. And I went through the same thing with them as I think I went through with my LinkedIn live stream and, and podcast with PPD, the pro Dota player. And often I feel like it's it's us versus them. Often I feel like me in the business side of esports, we're making decisions for the players without talking to them, without asking them. And I think that a lot of the time these big companies are doing the same or if they're coming into gaming or if you're going into China. Like if you asked someone who lives in China, like, hey, what do you think of this product? What do your friends right. think of this product? And I'm going through the same thing right now. I've you know, got an opportunity in the to, to, to do some interesting work in the power tool industry, which is different, but has a lot of ties back to the content and influencer and stuff that we've been doing. And I'm just going to go ask a couple of tradies, hey, where do you buy your tools? Why? Mm. You know, what what makes you want to buy a brand or go through a certain retail or a B2B aspect? You know, just, just go and talk to some people. And it sounds obvious and everyone says, yeah, yeah, I do that. But do you really? Right. Like, you know, when I was running... CSGO tournaments, like I made sure I took the time all the time to say, hey, what do you think of that tournament? You know, what could be done better? Because mm-hmm. I think people like to say they do and people like to send out surveys and I think it makes them feel good, but it doesn't actually make the people who are participating get the chance to actually say anything. So, I mean, that being said, do you have any any focus groups in China? Like how are you, how are you garnering that customer feedback? Yeah, I mean, we do do that. I mean, for our e-commerce stuff, you know, we do a market entry study where we go out to a mall and ask a bunch of people stuff. But what we found is the most effective is to go directly to influencers in those industries, right? So if you've got a product for a mommy baby group, instead of talking to 200 people, you go find an influencer and say, hey, what do you think about this product? You know, would you like to put this to your people? Because then you're going to get, I mean, they're really that that kind of, you know, uh, condensed um, opinion of thousands and thousands of people, and especially in China, you know, where the numbers skew everything, um, being able to get somebody who is going to be, you know, inundated with opinions, a hundred thousand people's opinions every day, every week, they're really going to understand and be in touch with that group and, and, and really what they're looking at. So instead of, and again, you know, like we talked about when you, there's a, there's a big difference. Like, you know, if you walk up to somebody and uh, in China and you're like, are you confident in your purchasing ability? Of course, they're going to say yes, right? Because to say no, you know, would be a, a loss of face. It'd be embarrassing to say, oh, geez. Yeah. You know? And where I, you know, or some people just don't care. And just like, yeah, sure, whatever. No, I'm, I'm not happy with it or whatever. Which is why you have these weird things in the States like consumer confidence index. Um, and in China, you know, <laughs> that would be a thousand percent every time um, if you're asking people one-on-one. So I think... You know, that's another thing too, where you're going to have uh, an influencer who, you know, who makes their income, their livelihood off of managing this group of people. They're going to be more in touch with that group of people than even those people are, right? Because those mm. people, that's just a part of their life, you know, whatever. But uh, <clears throat> someone who runs a, a mommy baby group of 50,000 people in China is going to know that group inside and out exactly what they're looking for, exactly what they want, and exactly how to present and ask. Uh, for feedback on something to get a real answer. So um, I think this kind of goes, you know, a lot with what we're doing. Whereas with the NBA, you know, you can just throw, put a product in front of that and uh, on their Weibo and, and try to get some affiliate money because they're just there for, for the basketball content and whatever. But with esports, you know, something we've had to learn very quickly um, and actually working hand in hand with a bunch of our customers is that, mm. You know, this interruption marketing being like, hey, games, games, games. They're like, check out this beer. It's like, that's not going to work. You know, like 
it can't be this kind of yeah. you know rah rah rah. It has to be woven into the content in a smarter way, um, or kind of seen as a long term partnership where you're discussing these things. Um, you know, and, and and when you're before you're involved in this stuff, you don't really see it as much. Um, but now I kind of see it everywhere where it's like, oh, the Dodge Ram uh, shot chart for the, you know, the basketball game or whatever like that, where you're seeing these kind of just reminders and reinforcements of, of kind of what's going on. And I think that, you know, that in China still has a long way to go and develop. Um, but it will continue to do that, you know, as people, as this kind of content consumption shifts away, especially in the West where, you know, people don't really watch TV or anything like that anymore. Um you know, I think that's going to continue to, to, to kind of go that way. But the brands do need to get smarter about how they're presenting their products. Like you said, you know, the, the newest gas guzzling SUV to, to millennials, you know, that's a tough sell, um, especially, you know, with, with kind of all these issues that we're having now. And I think that people want to feel like these brands are actually being supported um, in the, the things that they love, the esports content and things like that is supporting um you know it's something that they want to support um, and a lot of these teams are sponsored by fast foods and, and and things like that that are not necessarily energy drinks and all this stuff um but you know we're also seeing some of the smaller teams kind of pivot and say especially in asia where you have in china you know there's a big concern about you know are these gays gaming good for the for the youth and in china they're very protective it's not some wide open market where it's like, Hey, and the States like, go nuts, sell them whatever you want. You want to do, you know, vape juice or whatever like that um, go nuts. But I think in China, you know, in 2008 or 2018, basically the whole gaming industry was on hold there as the Chinese government kind of deliberated and said, you know, is this good? Is this bad? So a lot of the mm-hmm. things that we try to do is tie it back to education or um, community and things like that. And kind of showing, Hey, you know, these things don't have to be just a drain on, on, the, on the system or a drain on people's uh, um, you know, socialization skills. We can kind of weave other things into it and make this something that can be a benefit. Yeah, content-driven marketing, right? It's mm-hmm. something like you're talking about. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people about coming on to, you know, the things that I post to, to influence the B2B side of things and, you know, advertising with me on content marketing. I remember listening to a podcast. I think it was a startup podcast by Gimlet Media talking about, uh, I can't remember what, what news organization it was in America, but one of the major ones, and they have a whole, m- most of their revenue is now driven through, you know, advertorials, and they have a whole mm. floor of people, you know, who are driving that. There was a lady who founded it. It's named after her. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's going to kill me if I don't remember that. But anyway, so it's, you know, it's such a, such a popular thing. So attention economy, there's advertising flying around everywhere. So to me, that says... If you want to advertise to someone, do it through a vehicle they enjoy. Perfect segue into esports. Right. So tell me, what's how's how's esports coming to your business? How's it expanding to your possibilities? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, you know, like we said, when we, it's a long winding road how we got here, but you know, three and a half, four years ago, when we started doing um, a lot of the e-commerce development in China, you know, we were kind of looking at the P&L and saying, "Geez, we're spending 70 percent of our clients' budget on on influencer marketing, and it's working." Um, but it would be a lot easier if we had, if there was more natural pull and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, there's only so much content you can create about, you know, funny socks and, and new bras and things like that. Um, so we, that's how what led us to the NBA is realizing, hey, there's so much attention in China, and there's, you know, most of the NBA players are just like, oh, I played 13 minutes last night and had 12 points. And they can, you know, people can find that stuff anywhere. Um, so I think what's really interesting for us is kind of, you know watching the way that Chinese kind of interact with social media and how they consume content. Um, and one thing I've really tried to describe to our clients is, look, it's not just about the content of the games and blah, blah, blah. Like people want to know what you have for breakfast. What do you guys talk about before the match? What happens afterwards? Um, what does your backyard look like? Oh, the, Oh, the team has a team house. What does the team house look like? You know, like, and, and, and I think that that's a little bit of trying to understand that market. You have this captive market where Chinese people aren't, you know, going to Thailand for, I mean, I guess they are, but they're not going to Thailand for like a, a weekend vacation for the most part. People in China live in 
you know, a concrete box in the sky and they share it with a couple of people and they take crowded elevators to a crowded subway to a crowded office. And then they have a, cr- a quick lunch break where they eat as much as quick as they can. But for them, social media is an escape from that day-to-day grind. Um, and, and if you look at the consumption uh, mm-hmm. of when the Chinese tend to consume content, it's in the mornings when they're on the way to work. It's a huge spike in the afternoon when they're taking their breaks and a huge spike in the evenings, especially with gaming. Gaming stuff is very late in the evening. So um, kind of trying to understand the way the Chinese want to consume and why they're consuming that content, right? It's it's about, you know, I've heard people describe it even with esports is, is and, and luxury and whatever is, you know, you're selling a fantasy world. You're selling this fantasy escape. Um, and I think that that's really an interesting way to put, about, to, to put it is people... You know, the day-to-day grind is, is difficult and um, it can really chew you up. And in China, it's it's fast and it's crowded and it's noisy. Um, so when people want to dive into, you know, another world, esports gives them that, you know, and, and it's exciting and entertaining. And it's just like anything too, where it's like, I grew up playing ice hockey and ice hockey isn't super popular in the States because most people don't understand how amazing the things are that people are doing. So by having that's another reason I think gaming really transcends, uh, as we talked about before, of like why it's so popular. It's because anybody can play these games and they play them like, oh crap, that's really hard. You know, like playing Rocket League is really difficult. That's even just you know being basically okay at it is very difficult. So yeah. seeing people who are really amazing at it, if you've played that game, you know, it can be mind blowing for people, and they really love to consume this content. It was you know, a little bit surprising to me too at, at first, but. It's starting to make more and more sense. And um, like I said, you know, anybody with a three or $400 computer and internet connection can participate. And I think that's why it spread so globally and so fast. Well, it's how, and how we ended up in esports. Um, going back to Chris's question here, um, mm. was we were working with the, the NBA teams and we started talking to them about their NBA 2K properties. Um, and we, you know, it, it's very interesting. Um, the Chinese are, um, you know, they, they love their basketball. Um, they love the NBA, but, uh, the NBA 2k is, you know, it's, it's, it's quite restrictive in terms of, of, in what, in terms of what you're able to do. And also, you know, not, not too many people like that game actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at the NBA 2k, we just kind of, um, kind of naturally, I guess, uh, advanced onto esports, um, and just realized like how, how large the opportunity was and how, how massive, massively popular it is in China. I mean, the first mm-hmm. kind of eye opening thing for me, you know, was, you know, that we talked about was reaching out to teams about the international that was going to be in China, that was in Shanghai this last summer. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, for, for us, when we're working with these direct-to-consumer electronic or product brands, um, the reason that we can get them to China is, one, we only have to explain China. You know, we don't have to explain digital marketing. And the difficult thing with the NBA teams is, you know, you might seem like they're super advanced in, in, in their technological understanding, but mm-hmm. explaining, you know, retargeting and, um, you know, unique tracking links and stuff like that, these guys, their eyes just glaze over and you just realize, man... Mm-hmm it's just been a, a fire hydrant of money for the NBA for so long that they don't really have to really be super sharp and really understanding all this stuff. You know, it's, it's been such a, it's still kind of a cowboyish business where everybody, you know, Ford shows up and is like, here's another 10 million bucks for, you know, this ad place, what we're going to do here. Um, but in esports and, and esports, you know, it, it does have a, a, a bit of a similar feeling to it because then it's grown so fast. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that there are all these tournaments all across the world and a lot of them are in Asia lends itself to the teams that kind of understanding that there is a huge untapped market there in China. And so for us, be able to say, hey, we can help you get in China and here's how we do it. And here's how we can kind of help you engage with the fan base. I mean, again, at the end of the day, esports is driven by uh, influencer marketing, right? I mean, that at the core, that's what's really driving all that revenue, right? Is sponsors aren't, you know, sponsors aren't giving a bunch of money because they're friendly or they really like the game. They're, they're giving that money because it's driving a return for them eventually. And I think that that's really 
something that's important to understand is the more that you can do that um, and kind of show that these brands do have a way to engage um, with a, a fan base through esports in a smart way that can be um, measured. I think that that's really going to be where this kind of grows uh, by balance. So, what resonates well with the with the Chinese audience? We talked about we talked about marketing, retargeting, pushing ads, content. Um, driven marketing influences, et cetera. What about performance? Is that something that's high on their radar? So there's been some questions that have come through in the chat, for example, from Pierre. Um, and, you know, we've talked a bit about Dota 2. China's had some great performance in the past, especially, and, and present with Dota 2 with with teams like PSG, LGD, and, and IG, you know, IG winning TI in the past, PSG, LGD placing very highly a few times, and also the Chinese coming in absolutely dominating League of Legends for a while as well, and the massive growth of League of Legends in China. So, you know, if you think about um, the Australian market, a lot of people here like swimming just because we're really good at it. A lot of people like cricket because we're very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it is it similar in China? Are they are they attracted as much to the performance as they are the marketing or, or one more so than the other? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, League of Legends is really a driver for us for the most part because the foreign teams aren't that good at it, you know, and, and they kind of come into the market and, and you know, it's, it's something that doesn't get as much uh, resonation. I think Dota has been a big driver for us, um, some of these new titles as well, because the foreign teams are more competitive. Um, but as we see the market kind of grow overall, I think you're going to see a bit of a shift. China loves a winner, sure. Um, but they love the competition too, you know, watching someone like uh, Team OG in, uh, in the international in Shanghai and kind of seeing, you know, the nationalism of China kind of flare up and, um, and watching the battle, you know, as we see other teams kind of come in and, and compete with them as well, I think it is interesting to kind of see, um, you know, the the expansion of, of the Chinese attention towards these these games and these teams, um, where they just respect the again, they understand the how difficult it is to play these games, and um, that really kind of drives the popularity of them. Um, you know, for whatever reason, Dota and, and League of Legends, those games are. Kind of similar, um, but you know, Dota has been a huge driver and it's hugely popular all across Asia, including Southeast Asia. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, the the NBA teams that are most popular in China, it was the Warriors, and before that, it was the Lakers and stuff like that. They love winners. They love you know the the, the royalty, NBA royalty. The Bulls are still popular because they're still riding Jordan. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. That's kind of the surface level, um, but you can find an audience for just about anything. You know, we're kind of seeing the growth of, you know, Counter Strike still popular there. Rainbow Six is, is up and coming. Um, yeah, okay. Rocket League. You know, I, I think there's just a, it's just a huge market, and there's going to be little pools and pockets of everything. Um, but the big boys definitely, League of Legends is, is, is huge. Um, and so for us, you know, we're even looking at working with some companies to say, okay, let's, let's reach out to these Chinese teams and do some sponsorship deals with, you know, some of these League of Legends teams because of the amount of eyeballs that they generate. It's just absolutely insane. Um, mm. And watching that kind of, you know, again, attention, attention is currency these days. And um, being able to get somebody to focus on something is pretty difficult. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, even for me, I think, you start talking to some of these kids that are growing up now and, and like you mentioned before, like finding a 14 year old to kind of tell you what's going on. I mean, these kids, they don't know what a remote control is or like, Oh, I got to be home at three 30 to watch my program. Like what? Just watch it whenever you want on your iPad. And I mean, that yeah. was a big, that was a big revelation for us. You know, when we first started yeah. trying to staff up and scale, we're like, Oh, we got to find people who are social media coordinators and blah, blah, blah. And like, when you look for that on someone's resume, um, you know, you end up hiring somebody who's my age, you know, in the mid thirties to do something like that. And it was just falling flat. And then, so we started like, all right, we're just going to find, go into these fan groups of these games and hire kids out of college. And, you know, it's weird for me. I show up in the office in China and nobody's there at noon, 1230 or like, Man, what's going on? But then they show up at 1 PM and they stay in the office till three in the morning and they're super engaged with it they love kind of creating the content they love kind of having their fingers on the pulse of what's going on and being involved with these foreign teams it's really exciting for them so i think you know again trying to to make sure that you're finding something that resonates with your audience with whoever uh is really important so we, we talked before recording about um the industry growth of esports and being likened to things like mma and x games etc obviously 
anything about MMA in particular, it's starting to really come into China. You know, the UFC now has a Chinese female champion for the first time, and they've seen a massive boost because of that. You know, and the X Games has kind of come and gone. But I think, you know, the topic that I wrote down that I want to talk about was the limitations of other industry growths versus esports. And, you know, some of the things that I likened is that these other sports are often barred by policy and also barred by the physicality, not just the equipment, but needing the stadiums. So an example is, you know, Letway, which is like um, Muay Thai, but you can headbutt and there's no gloves. Um, you know, they, they're about to have their first ever showing, I think, in America. The sport's over 2,000 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's like a Canadian, French-Canadian champion of the world guy called David Ledoux. And, you know, they're saying that I think it's Wyoming is, is the place that they have to go to because it's the only one that can approve it. Similar with the MMA. You know, there's certain states that don't allow UFC still, a, a um, thing right. that can sell out Madison Square Garden, you know, and has millions of dollars worth of pay-per-view sales. Right. Um, and knuckle boxing, same thing. It's only able in a, in a couple of states. And, you know, X Games is, is sometimes prohibitive as well because you need a massive slope with snow on it. Um, to do half right. of their sport, whereas esports is global. You know, it circum it circumvents a lot of those issues, and mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, a couple hundred buck um, PC or even just a mobile phone with the free three G internet connection that you can garner through a lot of plans in Asia these days can have right. you online and gaming straight away. So, do you see the the growth of esports in China or globally stalling, like we've seen with with MMA and and some of these other extreme sports, or do you see it just continuing to grow? Um, I mean, I think if you look at what's going to drive all that stuff, you know, like you talked about, I think mobile gaming is one of those things that we're super high on for, for the next year um, because of that penetration in the market. You know, everybody who games on PC probably games mobile, uh, but not necessarily the other way around. Um, so I think, you know, again, when we're talking about people trying to maximize their um, maximize their downtime, maximize their escape, whatever it's much easier for them to jump on their phone and play something, especially now, you know, talking about like 5G really launching in, in Asia here next year and kind of being all over the place. Um, it's really going to solve a lot of those, those issues that we're talking about, you know, with slower uh, participation and whatever. And as these phones, you know, continue to have, you know, basically it's, it's a computer in your pocket and, and having these stronger processors. You know, I still remember the 8-bit Nintendos and even before that, the Ataris, and now, you know, you can play Grand Theft Auto on your phone and it just seems um, you know, like we're in this whole other world. Um, but I think that, you know, one of those things, too, is like if you look at that equipment that you need, right, the cell phone companies and then the 5G Internet providers, they have a vested interest in pushing that and continue to have that grow. Right. It's like. If you're talking about X Games, like you mentioned, like. Uh, snowmobile companies only have so much revenue to invest in it. But when you're talking about technology and. Uh, hardware and things like that. These are massive global companies that have a vested interest in seeing this succeed. Um, but also, like mm. you said, you know, like even if you if you're in India and you want to participate in in the BMX thing, how are you going to do that? It's not possible, right? I mean, so I think you know, being able to do all this stuff and live in a virtual world has really connected these communities, you know, and, and we're seeing this kind of massive growth everywhere. Uh, I just don't see it slowing down. If you look at the the trajectory. Um, you know, and I hear that from people that are kind of casual, like, oh, yeah, esports, oh, it's going to come and go. And it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, even talking to some of the some of our clients that were talking about this kind of cycle of being like, oh, it's probably going to last a couple of years, blah, blah, blah. I just don't see that. You know, I don't see one. If you look at gaming as an overall industry over the last 15 years, I mean, it's just skyrocket straight up. It's not going anywhere. People love games. They love all of this stuff. And, um, you know as we see kind of more and more of this kind of crossover between celebrities and sports people and gamers, like, I mean, you can't, you know, love them or hate them. You can't deny the popularity of FaZe Clan. I mean, this guy's just, they sell merch, they drive everything. You know, you've got 16, 17 year old men, boys screaming like they saw Britney Spears or something at these, at these guys that, you know, trick shot artists. I mean, it's mind blowing. Um, But I just don't, I mean, I just, Maybe it's me because I'm involved in it now, but all of the... I've never seen anything like this. I think that, you know, it's... As you talked about, the reason that these games are popular is because people know how difficult it is and they can participate, right? Everybody, these kids in in rural China or rural India or something like that, they know they're never going to be LeBron James, but they could be, you know, some of these esports stars. Maybe there's a hope for it, right? If If they work hard enough and train and stuff like that, you know, I think... 
um, you know, had China slapped the disapproval on it, I think we would be looking at a very different marketplace right now. But China saying, hey, we recognize this stuff as, as valuable. Um, kids are working and working hard and becoming part of the community and, and striving to achieve something. I think that's really been a green light for a lot of this investment that's happened. And you see it in the US too, where it's like kids in, in high school are participating in these leagues and you know, for me, seeing what happened at the international with some of our our clients, I'm like, oh yeah, great. You know, we'll talk. You know, meet the day before, get some time. We can take them, do some autograph sessions. Like, uh, oh no, no, no. Like these guys are going to play these competitions and start going and preparing for the next match all day long. There's zero downtime. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I just don't see any slowdown. And, and again, you know, talking about the, the drivers of this, the companies that are have vested interest in it, as well as this influencer marketing being able to peddle that influence around um i just don't see any slowdown right and this is all like pre-5g coming out um i don't know the exact timeline um southeast asia next year though um the mobile gaming market we're we're gonna we're gonna see massive growth and then that you know that gaming market in, in general in China, I mean that's a big focus for us as well. And we're starting to get involved in some game development um, and working with some companies that want to sell into that market. China is the largest market, and the regulatory issues are, are no joke. But the uh, the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow is is very large. And you know, I think the if you look at the ability to sell things digitally, I mean you make that you know I mean Grand Theft Auto Five, you know, it's still making tens of millions of dollars every month and that game came out four years ago five years ago like yeah it's just and, and i think that that's another thing that that really sets esports apart right if if you look at what happened with overwatch or i think it was overwatch where like oh well if you just do uh whatever this arrangement of players then you have this competitive advantage it's very difficult to beat and they're like okay well you can't do that anymore Okay, boom, problem solved, right? It's not like um, <laughs> doping or something like that where people are like, you know, changing something. It's just very easy for them to an analyze what's going on and make sure that it stays competitive. And, and I think because of that reason, you know, the, the foundation of, of esports is just very different from anything we've ever seen. I've ever seen. Yeah, look, will will esports rescind or die? It seems almost like a dumb question to me because, like you were saying, the the games market is bigger than the movie and music markets combined globally already. Esports is one percent, if that, of that market. You know, currently valued at somewhere around a billion, said to be maybe one point two by the end of the year. And people who participate in something they enjoy like to watch people who are better than them participating in something that they enjoy. So to me, that just seems obvious. And, you know, when people say, oh, how could you watch a guy play video games because they're better than you? Well, why do you watch someone play AFL, like Australian Football League, because they're better than you? Why do pool people like to watch better pool players or bowling mm -hmm. people? Why do mathematicians like to watch YouTube on certain math problems that they can't solve? Like, people like to watch others that are more skilled than them so they can mm -hmm. learn. They find it exciting because it's, it's interesting to them. So it seems pretty obvious to me, but for some other people, maybe not so much. But glad we're on the glad we're on the same page. What's, yeah, uh, I think that people, you know, like, again, like try to excuse it away, and they're like, "Well, I don't really get it. It's just another fad." Blah 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 blah. And it's like, well, I don't know. I think you're kind of missing the point here. Is this kind of sweeps the globe? I mean, have you ever ever, you know, like it, it, I think East or um, uh, extremes? What do we call that? Extremes. Uh, yeah. You know, it took them forever. It took them a decade to expand into Asia. And then it kind of uh, kind of came up and, and, and kind of flopped because so much equipment, so much, you know, like you're not taking snowmobiling to, to Asia. That's just not going to happen. So um, I think the, the ability for someone to, to create one title and sell that to the world, I mean, it's just so intriguing. If you've ever been involved in software sales and stuff like that, there's a reason that people make so much money in that because you make one product and sell it a billion times. It doesn't cost you much more to deliver it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. So, what's what's coming up next for you guys? We talked a little bit a little bit about Southeast Asia before the call. Yeah, I mean that's something that we're really kind of excited about. Um, we're working with a couple of teams to kind of get some um, beachheads set up for them in, in Southeast Asia. But that market is is growing like China was 10 years ago. Um, we just have these amazing numbers, double digit year on year growth every year um, in e-commerce, and they're really you know really kind of plugged into hip hop and life and streetwear and lifestyle and all these kinds of things that, you know, when you're starting from 
from not having much and the whole country is kind of growing up and we see the, the um, average income rising around the country and disposable income rising, this is where people are investing their money, right? And, and yeah, the NBA is popular in some areas, um, but the passion of the fans that you see down there in the Philippines and um, in Malaysia and stuff like that, I think it's, uh, you know, that, that chain of, of groups you talk about. Southeast Asia, you know, it's that, that block is the seventh largest economy in the world. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to group them all together because it is really six different languages and things like that. But um, as we see e-commerce kind of scale up there, I think, you know, for us being able to focus on China and Southeast Asia, um, it's really exciting for us. But yeah, I think next year, uh, bigger focus on um, working with gaming companies to get into China and develop. Um, a presence there for themselves and um, looking towards Southeast Asia for expansion as well. Now back to our previous topic, a good um, a, a good point here from Chris Reed, who's someone, for anyone who's listening to the podcast or watching on LinkedIn Live right now, check him out on on LinkedIn. It's Chris C-R-I-S Reed, R-E-E-D. He does a lot of live streams, does his own content and stuff, which is very good. And he was saying something that I agree with, which is gaming is going to be more a way of life as time goes on. And he thinks that people don't understand the power of that. And adding to that, you know, most of my conversation and what seemed to resonate well with the corporates and executives and, and MPs that I talked to was saying that most brands come to me, they want esports. Under mm-hmm. that, really, what they want is gaming. Right. And under that, what they want is millennials and Gen Z, and gaming is the interface to talk mm-hmm. to them. It's the way that you discuss with them. It's, it's the, the fact that, yeah, exactly. That's it's the cool. fact that my friends and I, even the ones I live in the same state as, we don't really catch up in person very often at all, unless it's for a music festival or for a special occasion house party like Australia Day or something like that. Besides, we hang out in Discord and we play Dota together, and it's nowhere near as much about the Dota as it is as hanging out. The same way that kids these days don't go and hang out at the local service station, at the skate park, at the shopping centre like they used to, Mm -hmm. affectionately called mall rats um, in Australia. That's a colloquialism for you. Um, They hang out in Fortnite and sometimes they don't even play a game. They just talk to each other in Fortnite. The same way that for many years I've been hanging out in Ventrilo or TeamSpeak or now Discord, whatever the the flavour of the month is or mumble it was for a while, with my friends. You know, we'll hang out there, we'll watch YouTube videos, we'll be half talking to each other all the time. Same way that when I was younger, had my first girlfriend, we'd be on the phone for like five hours but doing our own thing often a lot of the time, not even talking to each other. (laughs) And, you know, it's gaming is now the interface. It's where people hang out. And that's not to the fact that people don't want to leave their bedrooms but it's the fact that you need a proper reason for them to do that. They don't just want to go to the shops because they go to the shops. Like you said, in China, they can order something on the train on the way home and it can be there, you know, that night. Um, They can order Uber Eats or something like that, you know, equivalent to their house. Or in Australia, we've got Easy, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of the the Chinese people use. And, you know, it's that saying that you're looking at these tournaments, there's thousands of people going to them, tens of thousands of people. Why? It's because it's a money can buy experience. Mm-hmm. There's Dota 2 player signings. They can see the pros in person. They I mean, it was really uh, astounding to me that there's no major Dota tournaments in China in 2020. I was really astounded by that. You know, we have mm. one of the services we're looking at is, is helping Chinese travel abroad to go watch some of these tournaments, which to me yeah, right. is mind blowing. Um, but, you know, they, they are such passionate fans. And then, you know, seeing that at TI, you know, the Dota fan base is, is a bit older and a bit wealthier. So, I mean, there's a lot of revenue behind that. Um, and people love this stuff. You know, it's, you want to, you know, people, oh, why would you watch somebody play video games? You know, why would you watch anybody do anything? Like, it doesn't really matter, you know. And, and I get in this discussion, too, where it's like, well, who cares why they do it? it's a fact that there's millions of people doing it. So you either sit there and try to contemplate why this is happening or you build a business around it, you know, like we did. Um, and I think, you know, for us to try to understand, like John mentioned, you know, having this cultural fluency with China um, and kind of being involved with it for 15 years, right? I mean, I'm having a, I live in Mexico now, I'm having a really tough time learning Spanish, even though it's so close to English because I spent 13 years hearing Chinese every day and speaking it for so long that it's kind of mm. changed my brain. Um, so again, you know, I think it, it's really about, like you mentioned, it's about understanding that, hey, this is where people are now, you know, and, and they're, if you want to get in front of those audiences, it's not about, um, you know, a 15 second ad at the Super Bowl anymore. It's about, mm-hmm. And, and and that's not really 
engagement anyway. Like that's still the old madman billboard philosophy of like, well, there's a million people are, are you gonna, a million eyeballs are going to see that. Okay. Well, how many leads does that generate? How many conversions does that generate? I'm trying to get people to understand that all this stuff is more trackable. And, and the reason that there's, there's a benefit to doing this digital marketing is you can see what's working and, and you can pivot from that. So a lot of what we do and kind of try to help people understand is that, you know, there's a lot more ability to do that in Asia and China where you can track these things and try to, you know, this isn't a, a blindly feeling around in this market that we're actually coming up with a strategy, setting that strategy, executing on that, and then pivoting based on data points. Um, and, and that's really the future, you know, for, for whatever you're talking about here, whether we're kind of marketing, everybody's always going to want to sell products and the influence is there with these with the esports um, uh, groups. And, and I just don't see that going away. Awesome. So we, we talked about a lot today. If, if someone wants to connect with you, follow you online or, or use your services, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you can check us out at uh, matalentchina.com. Um, and then uh, my LinkedIn profile, I think it's just yeah, Matthew Kowalik, K-O-W-A-L-A-K. Fantastic. And you, John? Uh, likewise, John Palchek, P-E-L-C-A-K at LinkedIn. We'll be happy to connect with anyone. Yeah, I love geeking out about this stuff. So anybody has any questions about China, <laughs> more than happy. Yeah, fantastic. And I think we're going to have to continue our conversation, especially on the influencer route, you know, working with a lot of influencers at the moment, myself being hyper-focused on helping to set them up for the future, whether that's gaining equity in companies, whether that's creating their own companies, products, and, you know, diversifying their income streams. Mm -hmm. Because right now, there's a massive disparity. We talked about this a bit in in my last LinkedIn Live with Kieran John and, you know, got taken to the cleaners a little bit by comments of people who honestly I think didn't watch the whole video, watched the clip and then decided to summarize my opinion and my thoughts. And to, to clarify on that, you know, I talked about what's the earning potential of people at certain subscriber levels. And obviously, for me anyway, that 500,000 subscribers does not equal the same amount of views or the same amount of dollars. But we were just talking about a benchmark. You know, if you have that many subscribers, what can you expect to make considering, you know, everything's going normal? The same way you could say, if I have 30 employees, how much money should I expect to make? Well, of course, it's a change in the industry. But what I'm seeing is that, you know, I've got um, some friends who are influencers or even business associates who are influencers who are of comparable size. One, let me give you a direct case study, two people on two different platforms. Mm -hmm. One gets 68 million views on their platform. One gets 53 million views on the other platform. One person's making $4,000 a month. The other person's making five to $10 million a year. Mm -hmm. So the disparity is incredible. So I'm trying yeah. to help these lower earning people understand their potentials and how to get to the higher because sometimes it's, I don't know, it's like a secret. It's like some tap that you just c- can't find <laughs> under your house. But when you turn it on, like you're saying, it can be like a fire hydrant. But sometimes yeah. you just need to find those ways to turn it on and different platforms monetize in different ways. You know, Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, they don't pay you for posting content. You need to make your own dollars, right. whereas YouTube does So right. and, and Twitch does. So it's just about finding the right ways for you on your platform to monetize. And I think myself and and many other people, we're still just figuring that out. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something we've had to learn in China where it's like um, the, the Chinese version of YouTube. They're like, yeah, you can kind of tip people in local credits or whatever, but there is no AdSense to monetize it. Everything needs to be monetized through um, affiliates and, and there's a ton of money in there, but you have to know how to get it. Right. So it's not about just showing up and being like, well, I got all these followers to so give me money. It's like, well, okay, great. Um, so I think, yeah, really that that's really the understanding too. And, and again, you know, having a great, a, a strong Chinese economy should be great for everybody. You know, I know it's benefited Australia hugely. Um, and, and so kind of having, understanding that there's demand for everything, right? And, and mm. especially products that are unique, uh, unique ingredients. And, and really, it's just about, you know, understanding the basics and getting that stuff, um, getting influencers to help you kind of push that stuff. And they're not doing it for free. They're doing it because they want a, a profit share. But, you know, mm. because of the way that everything's interlinked in China, it's not very difficult to set up these relationships, Um and, and get that trust because they know that all the traffic that they're going to send your way is going to be followed, measured, and that they're going to get, you know, their just deserves um, at the end of the day. And so and I think that's what's really interesting and, and exciting about the, the Chinese e-commerce economy. And, and, you know, again, when the when a lot of people in the West are getting more and more restrictive about who we let in and what we do, China's going the other way and making it easier and easier to be involved. Um, and I mean, that's really the future, you know, and that's, you know, 
what made America great in the first place was bringing in a bunch of people and saying, okay, you know, we're, we're all pushing each other to do better as opposed to being like, let's, you know, shut things off and oh, I just want to protect what I got. That, that leads to stagnation. Um, I think yeah. bringing in people and pushing each other is what leads to, to kind of creating something greater. So I'm, I'm very bullish on, on the Chinese economy and, and bullish on Asia in general as being a big driver uh, for the next 10, 20, 30 years, the rest of my life. Yeah, it's like open source, right? It's worked well for Tesla. It's worked very mm-hmm. well for Microsoft in the past. And, you know, you can see the difference between Microsoft and Apple. Apple keeping everything close to their chest and saying, trust me. And Microsoft saying, hey, look, everything here is open. Right. Have a crack, you know, and same with Tesla. You know, they're kind of the first in their market to do EVs, but all of, all of, everything's public. You know, SpaceX, things are public after, after a certain period of time. Check it out, follow along, develop. All right, awesome, guys. Well, great sure. to chat. Thanks, thanks for coming. And thanks yeah. for everyone for tuning into the podcast and to LinkedIn live stream. Awesome to see, you know, Frederick have a lot of discussion here. Pierre, Chris got a great way in from Brian, Abney, Kieran, John jumping in for a period of time, Sean Gabriel from Playside as well. So fantastic. Thanks for coming. We've got plenty more of these to come. Thanks guys. Chat soon. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 